What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. Well, you know, Lisa, when I think of slam dunk, I think really only of basketball, but I guess you can apply it to a variety of different business techniques. And here to help us understand sort of the convergence of uh, what you learn on the court and what you can learn in the office uh, is uh, Byron Scott. Thank you very much for being here. He is an NBC studio analyst, but of course he is known as... Uh, NBA. Yes, I was going to... I was going to give the whole record, there, right? You know, I was I was going to tell everybody about his what three NBA champions, uh, NBA All Rookie First Team, also uh, coach to uh, the LA. I mean, just your thank you for being here. Thank you guys for having me. All right, and in the in the other corner is Charles Norris. He is the uh, chairman of Fresh Pet, and he is the former chief executive of McKesson Water and Deer Park Spring Water. Charles, thanks for being here. A pleasure. Uh, okay, so this is the obvious question. What do you two gentlemen have in common? <laughs> we were just talking about that. Uh, even though we don't look alike, we have a lot in common. We are separated uh, by a, at least a couple inches. A little bit. Just a few. Just a few. A little age, a little bit of hair. But uh, <laughs> uh, we have a lot in common, and uh, it was remarkable as we got to know each other and spend time together, how much we had in common. And we learned it because Byron invited me to work out with him at the Laker facility when he was coaching. And he invited me to go into coaches' meetings, uh, film sessions with players, watch practices. And I, in turn, invited Byron to come to bank meetings and board meetings and uh, really get involved in the businesses I was in. And we then started talking about uh, the techniques we used in, in leadership, and lo and behold, we found that they were very similar. Well, and Byron, uh, so you coach the Sacramento Kings, New Jersey mm -hmm. Nets, New Orleans mm -hmm. uh, Hornets. I could go on and on. Uh, what one skill do you think sort of connects both the corporate world and the, the bulk world? Well, I, I think, Lisa, from a leadership standpoint, uh, and Charlie's taught me this, in, you know, in various ways and, and I was doing it and really didn't know I was doing it but you, you really got to get to the heads and hearts of the people that you're um, that you're that you're dealing with and in basketball that is the players you know in the business world in the corporate world he's dealing with his employees so it, it just taught me that you know you have to ask that second and that third question because the one thing that you want them to know is that you're very interested in the things that they want to bring to the table and we both believe that you have to be able to delegate uh, authority, you know, to people. In my case, it was assistant coaches um, to give them the, the right to go out and do their job to the best of their ability. And if they fail, you know, then you kind of jump in. But you want to have them have that sense of knowing that, 
you know, everything they do counts as well. And, and I think that's something that Charlie and I both had in common uh, coming from our backgrounds. So you co-authored a book that was just released, Slam Dunk Success. Uh, it was published by Center Street on April 25th. So that's yesterday. Correct. Uh, it just came out. What was the process of, of writing it like? I mean, Byron, you were telling me about uh, the death, the death like <laughs> uh, workouts that you guys engaged on. And but what was the process of writing the book like? It was great, to be honest with you. I mean, once we uh, decided that this is something that we could really do, and, and a lot of that was because of Charlie's wife, Peggy, who said, uh, who used to be an editor herself, and said she really thought we had something here. Uh, then we started taking it a little bit more serious, and we contacted a friend of Charlie's named Todd Smith, who took it to a totally different level. But uh, in the process of doing it, our writer, John Work, who's a great writer, who did a great job of really capturing, I think, the essence of what this book is all about, uh, and, and we both speak in the first person, and he was really able to kind of capture everything that we wanted to really uh, apply to, to, the, to the leadership roles and the, and the other chapters that we have in the book that we thought would be very uh, interesting to a lot of our readers. Uh, if I can add something to that, uh, Byron and I sat down and we listed about 15 leadership qualities that we had in common. And when uh, John Warwick uh, interviewed us, he interviewed us thinking specifically about each of those leadership qualities as a separate chapter. Now, Charles, I, I want to just put it to you that, you know, and it's your uh, success at McKesson Water, uh, uh, also Deer Park, and uh, also Fresh Pet. How do you contrast that with what perhaps goes on in the court, which is if you don't perform on the court or as a coach, your time there is pretty limited, but there are many cases in which we see companies run by chief executives who get huge pay packets, uh, and their measurement is, well, let's just put it subjective, because they might be tied to stock performance, and that doesn't necessarily, I mean, just because the stock goes up doesn't mean you're a great CEO. How do you sort of have the, the same incentives for uh, figures on the court and figures in the boardroom? Well, uh we both have to win, and uh, how you define winning, obviously uh, in sport, it's uh, who, who gets the, high, the most points. In uh, business, it who gains market share, and uh, it, it's a very easy scorecard. If, if you're, every year you have a budget, and that budget is around sales profit, but it's also around how you're growing versus your competition in the market. And it's honestly, surprisingly, as competitive uh, in business as it is in sport to that end. Byron, you talked about how each chapter in the book is a different leadership quality. Is there one leadership quality that stands out to you as the most counterintuitive? Well, for me, again, on the basketball court, I've always been uh, a guy that's believe that if you're going to leader, if you're going to be a leader, you got to lead by example. You know, so if if I'm going to lead by example, I want to be at the gym early. You know, I want to, I want the players to come in and see me on the, the treadmill, see me in the weight room and be able to also go on the floor and be able to show them certain things that I want to be done. You know, because it's, it's, it's kind of hard as a coach when you say, I want you to do it this way, but you can't show them how to do it. You know, you can tell them, but you can't show them. So I, I still really believe that's one of the most important things, especially in my field is being able to go out there and, and, and participate and to show the guys exactly what you mean. Uh, and, and I think a lot of guys really enjoy that when a coach can get out there and kind of play around a little bit with them as well. 
Charlie, what about in the corporate boardroom? Well, what I find counterintuitive is celebrating uh, risk and learning from failure. Uh, to be successful in business and to be successful in life, you've got to get outside your box. And I, I look for people uh, to surround me who are willing to take risk. And if we don't encourage that, ultimately people are going to get nervous if they're, uh, uh, they take a risk and then they're uh, punished for having failed in the risk they take. So the counterintuitive aspect of that is is to celebrate the fact that you're willing to go out and take calculated risk. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. Uh, truly a pleasure. Uh, Byron Scott is NBA studio analyst for ESPN and longtime uh, NBA champion and coach of a number of the top NBA teams, as well as Charlie Norris, who is the chairman of Fresh Pet, also the former head of McKesson Water and Deer Park Spring Water. Uh, their book is currently on the book stand, Slam Dunk Success. Loneliness is a killer, as Pim was saying. A lot of older people are increasingly living alone, and this is an increasing problem for many. Uh, Dora Schooler might have the answer. Dora Schooler is chief executive officer of Intuition Robotics, which is an Israeli startup focused on creating electronic companions for people who perhaps live alone. Dora, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, first of all, just let's start with what is LEQ? Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, LEQ is an active aging companion. She's a social robot that actually um, lives in the home of the older adult, usually in the living room, and it helps them be more connected and engaged. It helps them to simplify the way they communicate with their family by bridging the digital divide, and it helps them meet their own goals towards an active aging lifestyle by helping them uh, and prodding them to go for a walk, or take their medication at ta- on time, learn new things every day, and so on. Okay, and, and uh, Dor, just uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I just want to say that you've raised, what, a total of $6 million from investors that include the uh, Roomba maker, iRobot, as well as TerraVenture Partners, uh, Maniv Mobility, and uh, Bloomberg Beta, just in terms of fair disclosure there. Uh, they, and also on the crowdfunding platform, Our Crowd. Uh, what are you using the money for? What's the next step? Yeah, the next step is really funding research and development and also manufacturing um, and user trials as we plan to bring this product to market, um, hopefully within the next 12 months. Because I was watching your video that you have online in which you have uh, an example of this uh, device, and it's paired with some kind of uh, tablet. I guess that's where the software runs. Maybe you could describe, how did you, uh, it almost looks like a, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, almost like a a multi-stacked flower vase. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it. Yeah, there are two components to the solution. One part is a screen or, or a removable tablet that we provide to our users. Um, and the main part is LEQ, which is the, the social robot. And she does look kind of like, um, I don't know, a new uh, physical presence in the home. She's very beautifully designed by Eve Bahar. But it's, it, it sits on a so, table. I mean, this is not, some, this is not a life-size uh, thing. This is something that's, that sits on a table. 
Correct. She sits on a table, but she does have automatron capability. So she, we use body language, essentially, which we as humans are kind of programmed to understand. So she will look to the side. She'll look up. She'll lean forward to make a point. Um, when we connect with families and let's say they send a picture over, A, we make it super simple for them to, to do that and for the older adults to view it. But B, also LEQ will turn, look at the picture, have a comment about it after understanding what's in it, and then try to solicit the older adult to respond and be part of the conversation on, say, Facebook Messenger. Is this, um, have you done psychological studies to see whether a robotic presence is equal or nearly equal to really having another person there? Right. It's definitely not the same. I mean, look, I mean, we would all like to be closer to our parents and we'd all like to visit them all the time. But the, the, the fact of life is that we live further and further away from them. And even if we live close, we can't be with them all the time. So we're not trying to replace a meaningful interaction between humans um, with some kind of a robot. What we are trying to do is bring to bear technology that will help bring people closer together, overcome the digital divide, um, help older adults um, consume music and TED Talks and other interesting things on the, on the, uh, that are available to them and also be somewhat of a nudge or an assistant or coach, if you will, um, to help convince them to go for walks and to take their medication on time and so on. So it's not a replacement for sure, but it is better than being alone. And, and let's remember that 90% of older adults live at home. About 60% of them self-profess that they're lonely and socially isolated. About 50% see the TV as their main companion. And about 40% talk to one person or less weak. So, so it is what it is. And we're, we're trying to do what we can um, to make the situation better and help people uh, live fuller lives. Have you started selling LEQ? We have not started selling any She's now starting trials in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and you're right that there are good demonstrations and we're starting a pilot program. But we still need to learn how people react to the product, if, uh, if it's, you know, the usability is the way we hope it will be. And uh, we have to do those things before we start selling the product. Dora, you are a serial entrepreneur, correct? Correct. Maybe just give people a little bit of your background. And why did you choose this as your next project? Sure, yes. I did my first startup uh, straight after leaving military intelligence in the Israeli army at age uh, 23. And this is now my fifth venture. Venture, The last one was actually inside a large company, um, which was Alcatel Lucent, now part of Nokia. And um, my co-founders and I <clears throat> decided that we really want to do something with high social impact this time around and touch people's lives. And, you know, the, they're now direct results proven by the Center of Disease Control of loneliness and social isolation, where um, it actually creates accelerated dementia, depression, and even mortality. But the good news is that there are other studies that show that when older adults practice active aging, when they're actually more active and engaged, they push out dementia 47% of the time, they heal faster from illness and disease 25% of the time, and they're just happier. So we really are trying to, uh, to harness the latest technology in artificial intelligence and machine learning and voice platforms and robotics to try and, and bring as many older adults to that second category as possible. I want to thank you very much for joining us and uh, sharing your thoughts and telling us about this uh, invention. Dor Schooler is the Chief Executive Officer of Intuition Robotics. They are based in Israel. You can follow him on Twitter at Dor, D-O-R, Schooler, S-K-U-L-E-R.
We want to take a moment to let you know about something new from Bloomberg. Starting right now, you can use our iOS app or our new Google Chrome extension to scan any news story on any website, instantly revealing relevant news and market data from Bloomberg and other sources related to the companies and people you're reading about. So no matter where you're reading the news, you can bring the power of Bloomberg's news and data with you. It's pretty amazing. Download our iOS app or search for the Bloomberg extension on the Chrome store to try it out. Learn more at Bloomberg.com slash lens. Well, more people are struggling to pay their credit card bills. That is what we learned yesterday after Capital One Financial and Discover Financial Services uh, reported earnings showing that there were a larger number of credit card charge-offs in their card units. Capital One in particular seeing a 29% increase in the provisions for losses in the credit card unit. To make some sense of this and to figure out what the broader implications are, I want to bring in Ryan O'Connell, senior analyst uh, focusing on financials for Blue. Intelligence. Thank you so much for joining us, Ryan. So what was your biggest takeaway from these results, which were really quite disappointing? Uh, well, good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Pam. Uh, this is really a pretty ugly uh, earnings report. And I think, at least with regard to Capital One, we've kind of hit a bit of an inflection point. Uh, several reasons. First of all, just the, the magnitude of the jump in provisions. If you look at their U.S. credit card business, which is their biggest business, their provisions actually went up about 70%. 7-0. That's year to over what? year. To what? Just to give some sort of perspective of the uh, dollar amount that we're talking about. About $1.7 billion. So that means the amount of money that they're setting aside to cover potential losses in their card unit has now gone to $1.7 billion. Uh, right. And that's so that's year over year. You're absolutely right about the uh, 29%. That's just a quarter. So year over year. And the other thing is their charge-off rate went from about 4% to 5%. And what they also said is, folks, you should expect 5% for the rest of the year. So this isn't just a one-quarter blip. This is a change. Is, did they give any details as to what is behind this? Right, Pim. So uh, what I thought was also very interesting about this is that uh, Cap One is basically changing its tune. Up until now, the reason for you know more bad loans, more charge-offs is a lot of loan growth, which is true, and the loans are getting older. This time, what they said is, we've changed our view on the way consumers are behaving. What does so, that mean? Yeah. Change their view. I mean, is this because, uh, you know, because I mean, if, if someone doesn't repay a loan, it can be because there's something wrong with the way the loan was put together in the first place, or the person should not have been allowed or the company was not should have been allowed to actually take out the loan. Are they giving credit cards to people that they shouldn't be giving them to? Well, that's a great question. I guess let, let's let's refer to it this way. Uh, they are referring to higher levels of consumer debt. And again, we have to bear in mind that they're really talking about their subprime customers, right? Because that's about a third of their business. Uh, as to whether or not they made bad loans, let's just look at the results. Well, I, I think, though, it's important to note if they're saying now, if they're changing their tune and they're now saying that there's a change in consumer behavior, this is pretty fuzzy. Does this mean they really don't have a handle on why there has been such an unexpectedly big increase in charge-offs? Well, what I would say is that uh, they sounded a lot more cautious on this call than they have in the last several calls. And uh, I think they, they just see higher levels of indebtedness. Uh, in hindsight, perhaps they got a little bit aggressive on the loan growth, but they've been tamping that down. So is Capital One alone and an isolated case in this pretty substantial increase in net charge-offs? I mean, yes, Discover also saw a larger uh, amount of charge-offs than expected, but still uh, way below Capital One. Or, or does this 
sort of point to some kind of broader weakness in the consumer? Well, uh, we'll have to see uh, Synchrony, which also has a large subprime credit card business. They were going to report their earnings on Friday, and we'll just have to see how that goes out. I'm not prejudging that. To your point, Lisa, uh, Discover's, yeah, their charge loss went up a bit, but it wasn't a big deal. And Discover still says that things are going pretty much as they expected. Now, again, the big difference is Capital One's got about a third of their customers in credit cards and subprime, and Discover doesn't. Was the subprime market a strategic you know, position for the bank? I mean, do they say, we want to go after these people because this is where we can make the most money, even if we do have to do charge-offs later on? I mean, this can't be something that just happened, right? I mean, you don't, it's not a like a multi-week event. This is something that's taken a while to happen. Capital One has been in the subprime credit card business and in the subprime auto business for a long time. Now, uh, to be fair to Capital One, they are still expecting 7 to 11% earnings growth this year. Uh, but frankly, a lot of that is from cost cuts. And also, they're doing better in their commercial bank because the energy loan crisis is sort of passing. So, um, first, I've got two questions. First, did we see weakness also among some prime credit card customers, or is the pain entirely isolated to the subprime customer? Well, I I think basically we're really talking about the subprime customer okay. here, Lisa, because again, if we use Discover or JP Morgan, Bank of America, they've all had some increases in charge-offs, but nothing like 100 basis points. Okay. And then the next point is, what about auto loans? Did we see the increase in charge-offs there too? Uh, actually, no. Uh, net charge-offs for the auto loans were flat year over year. You know, one of the things we've also uh, trying to track is the correlation between this and what happens in the larger economy, obviously. Uh, any prospect of the bank say anything about wages or about people being able to make more money? Well, again, the, the tone in the commentary was very different. So Discover, they still see a growing economy. Again, they're dealing with and they're crime. still making money as you just as you just described so maybe yeah. they're saying all right you know we're willing to take this hit I mean even though the stock is down I think about four uh, percent four percent right four three point eight percent right now it's more down more than three three dollars a share uh, they're willing to take that hit because they believe that this will this, you know they're in, you know going to be able to take this hit and not have it affect the bottom line? Uh, well, it, <laughs> it certainly affected the bottom line in this quarter. I think their expectation is they've been in this business for a long time. They're going to ride through different cycles. Uh, and again, they are they are tightening up. Just be clear, they were tightening up on loan growth now. They, so they're responding. They are responding. Because I mean, they're down 5%, so 5.5% so far this year at stock and uh, just paying a 1.9% dividend. And just to put this into perspective, the total amount of credit card debt in the U.S. has exceeded a trillion dollars for the first time since the financial crisis. So there's a lot of money at stake here. Clearly. Well, yeah. one other thing is that this is the highest level of net charge us in about six years for Cap One. All right. Ryan O'Connell, thank you so much for joining us. Ryan O'Connell is senior analyst focusing on financials for Bloomberg Intelligence, and he joins us in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. Cool. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.